I want to start with a, with a picture I saw. Uh, it's actually a series of pictures, a little comic strip I saw. You ever heard of the rat race? I love this. Get smoother, get closer. The advertisements on the wall I love. But at every single frame you're going to see this. Happiness is just around the corner. That corner is the work harder corner. And the next corner is the earn more money corner. And the next corner is the buy more things corner. And then the next corner is the keep going. You can do it. Happiness is just around the corner. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. It just keeps going. Good thing we're smarter than rats, huh? First time I ever preached in this sermon, I'm not going to do it today, but the first time I ever preached in this sermon, I sang Weird Al Yankovic's uh, eBay song. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, He sings a, a, a used pink bathrobe, a rare mint snow globe, a Smurf TV tray I bought on eBay. My house shows up with this stash, comes packed in bubble wrap most every day, what I bought on eBay. Tell me why I need another pet rock. Tell me why I bought that Alpha alarm clock. I bid on Shatner's old toupee. They had it on eBay, you know. Just before the song ends, as a backup singer, it's Weird Al's voice, but he's singing his backup singer, and he sings, Wake up, world. The kind of stuff you throw away. I bought on eBay. Why? Why does anybody spend time in that worldwide garage sale? Because the next thing is the thing that will bring me contentment. You know, I'll I'll be satisfied once I have an Apple Watch instead of a Timex. And I'll be happy when I get the iPhone upgrade that's got glass on both sides, you know, so I can break it no matter how I drop it, you know. Uh, I'll be I'll be content once I have the nicer car. I'll be content once I'm in that new marriage. I'll be content when it's just around the corner. Happiness is waiting. You're almost there. I'll be happy once I get rid of this or, or that. Once I have this or that, I can I can build a happy life, can I? What does it mean? To live a meaningful life. I tell you, for the most part, Americans have no clue how to answer that question. In fact, we don't ask it because it's so darn uncomfortable. The silence that comes into our hearts as Americans when we ask this question is what is the answer? How do I find my way to that? (laughs) Don't ask. We have an answer. We have an answer that absolutely puts the soul into contentment and peace. And so we sing the songs around the campfire. If you're uh, you're visiting with us, and I meant to welcome you, I'm so sorry. I know that some of you are from good distance away. We want you to know uh, you're allowed to drive here every week if you want. Your car got you here, so you know it can happen. So you can come on back next time. I'm kidding, but we hope anytime you're in this area, you'll come back through. If you're actually in the area and you live here, welcome. We hope you're blessed by your time here. Uh, we are working our way through the Psalms of Ascent. That's what these Psalms are about. And the Psalms of Ascent are about songs that you sang. When, as, a, as a Jewish person, you would sing these songs three times a year. You would sing them as you made the trip to Jerusalem. 
Three times a year, God called His people together to come worship Him in the city where He made His name to dwell. And you got to approach. You knew you were traveling into the heart of God, into the presence of God. And these psalms were made to make the pilgrim's heart make the journey. Not just their body. To make us journey. And as you journey into God's heart, you journey into your own as well. Because He wants to encounter you in who you are. And these psalms are designed to do that. We're about the halfway point. And at the halfway point, he starts to confront us with what is your priority in life? So we gather with him around the campfire and we sing this song that's asking us, what, what am I building on? What am I trying to make of myself? What's really exciting? What, what is it that I, that I really settle myself into? And I want to point this out to you. In fact, I hope that I say that, I intend to say this several times. I've only got one slide, but I hope I say this a couple of times, at least during the sermon. You can let me know if I forgot. But Building a, uh, a life for oneself, that's a stressful enterprise. Receiving a good life from God is not. Building a good life for oneself is stressful. But receiving a good life is not. Now, receiving a good life may be painful because it will usually call on us to turn loose of the things that we're trying to build. It will normally try, it'll confront us in the places where I've said, this is really meaningful to me. And God is saying, that is not meaningful at all. That will not last past today. But this is eternal. Focus here. The kind of heart you have. The kind of person you have. Your ability to love. That goes on forever. That car, that watch, that pretty woman, whatever it is that captures your life and says that, that's meaningful, that's what I want. All of those things will be stripped from you eventually. There is no car that doesn't end up in the junkyard. There is no person that does not end up in the graveyard. There is nothing you can build your life on that's eternal except the Lord God and what He calls you to. And if you will turn to God, you will receive from Him a life worth living. But it is only God who can give it to us. Only Him. And a life built on anything else is dust in the wind. Remember also that as we deal with these psalms, we're not dealing with what's called dialectic teaching, where you, you sit down and you, you just you analyze and you take things apart. That's what I'm doing here. But I think it's worth remembering as we look at all of these psalms, that what God gave to these people was something to settle into their hearts, not so much a, a lecture to, to push into their brains. So that as you do this, as you use the prayer guides, for instance, what you're trying to do is to retrain the heart and settle the heart in a way that goes really in some ways past the argument of the mind and settles the soul into God's presence where He can do His recreative work. He gives us these words that we might pray them. And praying them is totally different from teaching about them. Now, in some ways, I mean, preaching is not necessarily because God could show up here and smack you. You know, right now, I hope your hearts are open in the same ways that our hearts open up during prayer. But the, the heart that settles into prayer receives these words from God, gives them back to God, and they retrain the heart. And that's important to realize. Because what's being done here isn't just an argument. 
It's a passionate call. Come to Me and let Me build who You are. So let's look at these words. The psalm ends. I want to start with the ending of the psalm. We'll come back to it, but I want to start with the end. He says, He shall not be put to shame when He speaks to His enemies in the gate. Now, to you and I, that's, uh, that may be interesting. That's a nice thing to have. But it's not that big a deal. Not the way it was to the Hebrew mind. If you lived in ancient Hebrew culture, the concept of being put to shame is to us something like the concept of being uh, romantically rejected and unloved and unlovable. Okay? Unworthy of, of goodness. They lived in a culture that was entirely based on honor and shame in much the same way that we may live in a culture that's based on liberty and love. You know, freedom and the right to love. That's what our culture's built on. Theirs was built on honor. And if you did not have honor, you were nothing. If honor was taken from you, it was, it was to have life utterly destroyed and to be completely ruined. You know, it would be so much better to go bankrupt, except for the shame aspect of that, than it would to lose shame and, and stay rich. So what he has just said, what that psalmist says towards the end, is this is where the good life is found. This is a psalm about what it means to have a good and meaningful life. So with that in mind, let's dive into that. So he says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now, I don't, I don't actually know the name of the people who built my house. You know, There's some things about it that are a little strange. I sometimes wonder why when they built, they didn't put a bathroom, for instance, on the bottom floor. Um, my wife wonders that to me aloud a lot. Uh, but uh, I don't actually know who it is that built my tangible house. I don't think it was God. And yet the house holds together pretty well. What is he talking about? He's not talking about brick and mortar, right? He's not talking about wood and nails and stone. When he talks about house, he's talking about a life. You know, like the house of David. What is the house of David? Well, it's not that palace he lived in. It's, it's his, his kids, his offspring. God is saying, unless the Lord builds up your life for you, you can do whatever you want. It will all end up as dust. And folks, that is absolutely true. Dust and ashes. All we are without the help of God. And even the things that we feel like are the most meaningful and the most significant, once you have it, you ever have that thing where you're like, like maybe when you were a kid, you're like, all I want is this, and if, if I can just get this, if it'll show up for Christmas underneath the tree, then finally, my life will be complete. I just want that fire engine. And then you get the fire engine and you end up going, eh, is this all? We don't ever really grow beyond being kids that way. Once I, once I finish this accomplishment, once I get that degree, once I get this promotion, then I'll really have it made and you have it. And then you're like, eh. Once I get to live there, once I'm married to that person, once I have... 
You have the, do you ever have that sense of, is this all? And yet, if you have God, that never happens. Period. God is always an infinitely wondrous exploration. Always a new adventure. Because He's always coming to put His finger on something else about me that needs to change. Am I alone in that? He's always confronting, always guiding, always building, always blessing. But unless He does that, I won't live a life worth living. I won't be a man worth being. The Lord builds, or we build sandcastles below the tide line. Either the Lord builds the life where it isn't worth building. And once you have it, you may be done and go, why did I do this? Similarly, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What's that about? Well, in an ancient city, you'd have walls around it, and the watchman's there to look out to see, is there an enemy army approaching? And if there is, they're supposed to rouse the people, get them ready, there's a fight coming. So maybe there's a watchman doing that. Here comes the army. If God's not watching over that city, it doesn't matter how many people He roused. They can resist all they want to. If the Lord's going to give that city into the enemy army's hands, it's going into the enemy army's hands. It's not the watchman or the army or the chariots or the, or the ICBMs or whatever that keep you safe. It's the Lord God who does. And, so there, and this would be in the ancient world a reference to any point of insecurity, any point of danger. We live in a world filled with terrorism. Anybody ever afraid of terrorism? We live in a world of school and church shootings. you ever get concerned to come here? Look, unless the world watches over us, it doesn't matter how good our security staff is. It just doesn't matter. Which is not to say don't put sentries on your walls because the Lord will use them. You know, He puts he, every city had a sentry. They always did. But He's saying unless the people are in the hands of God, they aren't safe no matter how strong their fortress seems. And if you know God, you know that His tactics are sometimes crazy. Having people march around a city instead of a CJ. You know, that's crazy. You showed them all of your strengths and weaknesses for a week. Why are you doing that? They're all analyzing it. And then the walls fell down, didn't they? God's often nuts. Often crazy. Often risky. But there's never a risk with God. We are always safe in His hands. And since the grave has been emptied, since Jesus has been raised from the dead, even death isn't a thing we have to fear. No matter what, we are safe and saved. We are always protected in our worst of troubles, in our deepest grief, in our most profound sorrows, in our times of greatest anxiety. You can be safe in the hands of God. The things that threaten you can't undo you if you trust God. Okay, so if he builds a house, and if he watches over the city, then I can have the life I want. So how do I get him to do it? You don't. That's the whole point. You can't control him. He is very, very difficult to train. You know, people just don't domesticate God. He does not respond to snacks. It doesn't matter how good your prayers are. You can't make Him love you. It is spelled G-O-D, not D-O-G. So you don't treat Him like He's a dog and try Him to get through, jump through your hoop. He won't do it. But here's the thing. He's good. 
You don't have to do it. You don't have to make Him build your life. He wants to. He is so excited to build and bless in you things that are eternal. Things like love and kindness and mercy. Things of His nature that go on long after this world is gone. He is always building this stuff into you. And so our job is mostly to accept and receive what He wants to give. To, to take up the cross and deny the self and say, I can't build my life. I keep trying, but it's not working, so I need to put that behind me. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and what you have to say, that's where my life will be found. And forgiving my enemies is crazy, and I don't want to do it, but you told me to, so I'm going to follow you. And, and, and turning the other cheek means I'll never get my way, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust you. And, and, and loving and, and, and controlling my hungers. And I'm going to do these things because you told me to. And don't you find that when you practice discipleship, He is building a life in you that you would have never found on your own. You would have never found it on your own. You don't have to. You have to believe it. You don't have to build it. You have to receive it. And so the big act of prayer here, as you pray these verses, is God, help me to believe because I don't know about you, but I keep forgetting. I keep trying to find this life that I want to live. But when I rest in Him, when I give responsibility for who I'm going to be to Jesus Christ, I find that I start becoming who I wish I always was. I just have to trust Him. That's our big job. And so it's unless the Lord, not unless you, Unless the Lord, but He will. So how do I know how I'm doing at this? Be nice if I had some direction from God to help me to pay attention to whether or not I've got that submissive heart or not, right? Wouldn't it be great? Hmm. In vain do you rise up early and go to rest late, eating the bread of restless toil. That's kind of like your, your uh, dashboard, right? Your alarm panels. And the anxiety that starts flaring up, that's a, that's a check engine light. Okay? Now, listen, I know there are folks who have social anxiety and anxiety troubles that have to do with chemical imbalances in our bodies. And that's, I do not think God's talking about that. That's a sickness that's a whole lot similar to this. You know, and I don't read better. You know, just, I, I don't say, well, I need to trust God to help me read, so I'm going to... No, he gave me glasses, you know. That, that's not, he's not talking about that kind of anxiety. But there is a kind of anxiety that comes from misaligned priorities and a lack of faith. That's what he's talking about. When I trust in me, when I say my hope is my flesh, my abilities, my, when I put my faith in Ethan Brown, Ethan is a terrible God. He delivers poorly. Didn't come through. And I end up filled up with that. See, that guy does not trust that hamburger. Probably shouldn't. It's filled with triglycerides. It's going to hurt him. But my, the point, the reason, that bread of anxious toil, you worked so hard to get it. And once you got it, it didn't satisfy. You worked so hard to get there and you thought it would be meaningful when you had it. And it wasn't. 
You worked so hard to impress and it wasn't impressive. You worked so hard to be significant and found insignificance. Did that? And it's anxiety producing. It's sorrow producing. It's depression producing. It'll lead you into ways of darkness. He's saying that is a warning light. How do I know when things are running smoothly? Is there something? Yes. There is. He gives His beloved sleep. One of the ways that I can know that I actually have let go of the trouble that plagues me is that I fall asleep. It is amazing how troubles keep us awake. It is amazing how troubles keep us unhealthy. It is amazing how they plague us, right? But have you ever had this experience? If you've walked long with God, I suspect you have. Where a time of insomnia went away because God whispered to your heart. And you found peace that you didn't, you couldn't understand, you couldn't explain, but you really were grateful that it came. Again, sometimes He leaves us in times of slavery so that we can say thanks for our deliverance. And if you're not experiencing rest, I'm not trying to blame that on you and say, oh, you awful Christian. That's not the point. The point is to remember that God wants good things for you and His hands are full of them. And the more that we come to Him, the more to receive, not to control, not to get Him, hey, get about building my life for me. I want the good life that I'm, I'm expecting you to build. No, you come to Him going, God, I just want to be with you. He'll say, welcome, child. Sit down in my lap. I just want to sing a lullaby to you in this rocking chair until you fall asleep on my shoulder. That's the great power of God. And so the warning light goes off and I go, oh no, I'm worried. That's a warning light that sends you to God. It's not necessarily a bad thing to see it. Living in this broken world hard is probably a bad idea to keep driving once the ABS light has come on. And you probably want to do something about that before you kill somebody else because your brakes went out. You know, If this warning light comes on, get into prayer. Draw close to God because He's got a bag full of sleep waiting for you. God, help me to look into myself is the prayer here. Am I being attentive? Am I noticing when my priorities are messy? Am I looking in? God, help me to. And then finally, the second half of the sermon is all kind of making one big point. It's all about childbearing, right? Behold, children are heirs from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a womb, a reward. Uh, that's womb, not loom, that's underwear. Uh, the fruit of the womb is a reward, and they're like arrows in your hand, and you bless life if you fill your quiver with them. What is all that about? Well, I think what he's saying is the priorities of God are about love. You want to find honor, dedicate yourself to the people that you love. Having a ton of people in your life to love, that's what life is really about. You know, it's funny, one of the first things I thought when I read this is, what about the childless person? You know, what about the person who doesn't have a kid? You know, we, uh, we, we didn't always have kids in our marriage. We wanted them a lot earlier and we got them. What about the person who struggles with infertility? What about the person who never finds their way there? Are they not being rewarded by God? I would remind you of what Jesus said about the nature of His church. That God gives us mothers and fathers and children 
and grandchildren in the church. We are all God's family here. So in the church, there are no childless adults, period. But the point of the end of the psalm is that God is giving you people to love and that's where you find the meaning of your life. God builds opportunities to love into everybody. And the love and the joy of children is a natural place to find it. This is what human life is meant to be about. And I don't mean the squiring of children is what life is meant to be about. I mean love is what life is meant to be about. Children are such profound teachers. They don't even mean to be. And sometimes they do it, you know, they teach you the most profound things by saying something that is absolutely silly. But it can shock the adult mind going, wow, huh. Or it can fill you with laughter or with joy. And they teach you again what it means. <laughs> I've learned so much about the nature of God from my kids. Because you know, all I want for them is joy, happiness, and contentment. And then I remember that's because that's I'm a father and I'm a mirror of another father. A much better father than me. When I see my kids struggle and they they misbehave, they sin, my heart breaks. I understand the wrath of God because it's it's a wrath at that bad behavior, not at that bad person because it's not a bad person. That's my kid. How dare you? That's my beloved child. And I recognize a father. A much better father than me. See, this this is what life is about. Love and compassion and goodness and having these people in my life to retrain my heart so that I can maybe be like that to everybody. To have a compassionate and defensive heart for everyone's dignity. To want the best life for everybody. That's, That's what it really means to be alive. That's what it is to be without shame so the second half of the whole psalm is the call to the Father's heart. That's a life built by God. And it's built, it's filled up with the wealth of God. God is rich in steadfast love. And that's a wealth that never gets spent. Because the more that you spend it, the more that you find it, it is self-generating and wonderful and delightful. And it comes from God. And as it pours out of you, it makes you richer and richer. And that is a life built by God. Becoming a person capable of love the way that God loves, that's a life you carry into eternity with you. And it can never be taken away unless the Lord builds a house. You labor in vain. There is no more meaningful thing than we can pursue than relationship with God. There is no way you can heal your marriage without God. There is no way you can make a good career without God. There is no way you can have a good retirement without God. There is no way you can be a good person without God. You cannot have a good life without God, but you do not have to be without God. Because Jesus Christ has invited you into a life walking with God. 
God, make my priorities your own. That's the heart of that prayer. And finally, let me just ask you again, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? A truly meaningful life, purposeful and filled with knowing who I am and what I'm for. Life built by God. And you won't find it anywhere else. Have you been trying to build your life in something else? Well, <laughs> welcome to the call of God to reorient. It's time to come back home. And if you, like me, maybe you're stuck in a time of sorrow and you need God's freedom, this church will pray for you and I'm telling you, God can do it. If you came this morning bearing a burden that has nothing to do with what I've talked about, but you want the prayers of the saints, we want to pray for you. Let us know. And if you're not a Christian, there's no better way of life than following Jesus Christ. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of God, there's room right here. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?